Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Main Idea Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Matteo Capodaglio. There is now a website for the show. Check out www.mainideapodcast.com or click the link in the show notes and become part of the community. Here you'll gain access to Ask Me Anythings, products that are helping me perform at my best, and any future event related to the show. And as many of you know, I've been designing very high quality custom rash guards for the show listeners. The design is finalized. It's featuring art from Venice tattoo artist Jordan Hart and quality production from the homies over at Perry Athletics. The pre-order form for these are going to go live within the next two weeks, and they're going to first go to the community subscribers, which is free to do on the website. It's right there on the homepage. Once these sell out, they won't be made again. So may do a future run uh, down the line, but this initial batch of rash guards will be limited in supply. So if you don't want to miss the order for them, make sure to join at the website. And for the true fans of the show that want to support it, please take 30 seconds and leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the YouTube. This helps the show get discovered organically, and it helps me to continually bring on incredible guests. There's also now timestamps in the show notes, so feel free to jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. Dr. Matteo Capodaglio is a sports nutritionist and doctor of pharmacy who holds a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Milan. He handles the nutrition science behind top-tier combat sports athletes such as Dante Leon, Marvin Vittori, and lightweight phenom Armin Sarukian. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Without further ado, Dr. Matteo Capodaglio. Matteo, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. You're working with some of my favorite fighters, and I'm sure you're extremely busy. So to have you here on the show to talk about one of my favorite subjects, one of the most important subjects in sports, it really means a lot. So I appreciate that, brother. You're very welcome. Can I say buongiorno in the most Italian fashion? Buongiorno. I don't, I don't have a very good Italian tongue. It's all, it's all Spanish, but that's my best effort. <laughs> all good. No worries. No judgment. Uh, I also have this mustache now that uh, reminds me uh, about the um, inglorious bastard scene uh, with uh, uh, Brad Pitt doing the buongiorno. It's so yeah. good. We're, the only, he goes, Margariti. <laughs> Exactly. It's funny. That, that movie is so epic. You just had such an incredible weekend. Armand Sarukian looked like an absolute machine. He looked like someone who came prepared to fight for a title, not just fight for another rung on the ladder. How did you get to a place where you're working alongside of some of the most competitive fighters in the world? Well... I'm glad you asked because it's a great story. You probably don't expect what I'm, what I'm about to say. Um, it was probably 2010, 2011. Uh, I was completing my doctorate um, degree, my PharmD at the University of Rome. Um, for some reason, it was pretty easy for me uh, to get that degree. And um, I had a lot of free time. Um, <clears throat> I remember watching YouTube at the time. Uh, and hearing about this pride fighting championship. Uh, from there, I subscribed to uh, uh, the only uh, MMA forum in Italy at the time because I wanted to know more about the sport, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I started right there, 
And um, the play-by-play announcer for the UFC on uh, Sky Sports in Italy uh, reads one of my comments that I guess was articulated, was, was as they say in America, uh, well-spoken. My Italian is much better than my English. He sent me a DM and told <laughs> me... Um, he told me that he was starting this uh, uh, MMA newspaper. And if I wanted, of course, for free, it's like, you know, a gig. Uh, I could have, um, right. he could have got me to local events and I could have wrote about the, the, you know, Italian prospect and whatnot. So it was, I think, about 2013. And I go to this event in Rome. I still remember it's called Imp- was called Impera FC. They don't do it anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm a 24-year-old um, fanboy, basically, uh, that is taking, is studying for his degree yeah. in Rome. <laughs> uh, at the event, at the time, there were some pretty big names, you know, people that in uh, local, um, uh, local promotion fought against uh, uh, Alexander Gustafsson before he made it to the UFC. So, um, among them, there was this kid wow. that didn't receive any attention because he was just a 19 year old kid. Um, but I did my research. Um, I studied all the stats. I was pretty, pretty stoked to, uh, <laughs> take part to my first, uh, MMA event, uh, even as, as a blogger, if you want. And so while everyone was focusing on these, uh, big names right. and uh, no one, by the way, uh, made it to the UFC or, Maybe some of them are in Bellator right now. I I spent so much time talking to this 19-year-old kid that was left alone as well, like I did. And uh, we connected. You know who did that kid was? Marvin Vittori. It's it was be Marvin Vittori. Vittori. Yes, sir. And uh, <laughs> after that event, I reached out to him and I told him, listen, uh, you know, You're new to the sport. I'm new to the sport. I know a couple of things about science. Uh, I could help you, you know, um, to pick, uh, to make right choices on the performance side. And that's how the the whole thing started. Um, From that one thing led to another. We came to California the first time in 2015. He got the visa uh, in 2016. I came a couple of years later. And, uh, yeah, that's the story. When you're back there uh, looking at a fighter like Marvin Vittori at 19 years old, you're a fan of the sport, and you're at this event blogging for free, right, taking these steps in the right direction. What did, it, what did you feel like you could offer a fighter like that? I think at this point, and we will be able to unpack how much nutrition really impacts your ability to perform, to recover, to peak, to make weight, to do all these things. But at that time, what was Marvin doing in his own nutrition? And what were you able to bring to him as a value and say, hey, I know that this is going to have an impact on the way that you train and the way that you recover? Yes. Well, it was something much more primordial compared to what we do now. Of course, I wasn't I wasn't at this skill level, uh, but um, at the time, nutrition in MMA was almost not existing. I think the only person that published something about that was Mike Dolce with his um, Three Weeks to Shredded, yeah. which uh, I meticulously, me- meticulously yeah. read 
um, I remember I bought the ebook because there was no paper version in Italy. Um, but um, there was no education about the importance of uh, carbohydrates, for example, the main fuel in performance when it comes to MMA. Uh, weight cuts were more like, you know, the old school way where many people stayed dehydrated for uh, multiple days. And uh, the initial advice, the initial intervention, I remember revolve around that. And then, of course, uh, we started to dig deeper. Um, after I got my um, doctor of pharmacy, I, I work a little bit as a pharmacist because I thought that was going to be my career and this was going to be a, a, a side gig. Uh, but um, I quit the job, yeah. went back to the university, earned a master's degree in nutrition, University of Milan. So, um, you know, then, of course, we, uh, how do you say, we upgraded uh, the level of, of the work. Uh, we yeah. started to focus more on supplements, on uh, nutrient periodization. But uh, if I recall correctly, the first two things that stood out to me were the, the lack of carbohydrates and uh, the, the old school weight cuts. Yeah, Marvin is, um, he's a big dude. I mean, he he's one of the fighters that looks really big on the day that he fights. And I would imagine he just has to carry a lot of weight in his training, yet he's extremely athletic. I mean, his ability to to showcase striking, showcase wrestling, and, and also provide a gas tank that can last for championship rounds, that's a hard – that's something that you don't always see. I think you you see it more now than in the past because top prize fighters have – nutritionists and dedicated strength and conditioning coaches and they have more opportunity to control but he's a he's a big guy how do you like with a fighter like that with their output whether they're in camp or out of it what is the most difficult thing to manage from their nutritional intake well first of all i want to add a note marvin when we started he was a welterweight was not a middleweight actually so this is something not a lot of people know Wow. Yep. Um, but it, it looked like a different person. Maybe if you scroll down his Instagram page, you can still find pictures of him as a welterweight. But at the time, he was training in London, um, and he didn't do any strength and conditioning. He literally didn't lift. The only thing he would do was uh, Versa Climber. Then what happened is we came to America. We started to train with Corey Beasley, uh, which is the trainer of uh, Chito, Chito Vera. Um, and, uh, and it just yep. became bigger. Uh, I think genetically Marvin is predisposed to, to be big just because his brother that doesn't really train as much is, you know, as big as right. like, uh, they look like a rugby player. Right. So, um, right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, um, um, by the way, you will think that Marvin is heavier than what he actually, what he actually is. So, um, I will say the big challenge for us is uh, adherence to uh, a plan, uh, especially when he was living in uh, in Southern California. There's a lot of traveling to get to the training session. Um, restaurants, like the restaurant, re restaurants we're looking for might not be as, um, as available. Uh, and so sometimes we need to find, um, you know, the compromises that will like, do the job even though uh then they're not perfect that i will say is the um, 
is the is the biggest challenge and uh, um when it's when we talk about marvin uh it's worth mentioning that of course um i think i do a uh, i do my job with him uh he is obsessed with training with strength and conditioning and conditioning in particular um he rides his bicycle and he's um you know no offense of course i'm using the word maniac not in an offensive way but just to give an idea um in a good way in a in a very good way yes um i heard people back in italy they were training with him on the bike and he was doing um pretty famous going through uh he was planning to to climb a pretty famous mountain and he just said i'm not gonna put my feet down the bike and he did it he can overcome and wow. excruciating amount of pain while uh while training and uh and that transferred to his uh endurance in the in the octagon now mma is another type of sport so there are other variables into that go into uh an athlete being successful but uh i'll be honest with you if we were to do say a ufc version of the tour de france or cycling competition or any endurance competition yeah. <laughs> i'll probably put my money on on marvin is is one of a kind, really. I've, I've got a question about the difference between Europe and the United States. So mm-hmm. it's you have a unique perspective here because you studied in Italy. You've worked with fighters in Italy, but you've also immigrated to the United States and you work here stateside now. And from my travels, just I'll use last year as an example. Last year, my fiance and I went to Germany for 10 days. And for 10 days, all we did was walk 15 to 25,000 steps a day, eat everything that we wanted to eat, have a beer wherever you want to have a beer. And I put jujitsu training, strength training, everything else on the back burner. It was purely vacation, right? And we came back and I was exactly the same weight and borderline exactly the same body composition. And this is not the first time that this has happened. And it makes me wonder what is it about the difference between the food and the nutrient intake in Europe versus that in the United States, where you can just constantly consume food, carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and it feels like it just doesn't have that same effect that you get. If I did that here in the United States, I would be like a balloon. Mm, But you mean eating European foods in the United States or eating American foods in the United States? Eating American, so yeah, eating American food in the United States versus eating European food kind of at will uh, in Europe. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me ask you, were you at the Oktoberfest? I was not. Oh, okay. I'm just curious. <laughs> but, um, well, um, I'm talking about the fact. Um, I will say the uh, European uh, food authorities, il, um um, uh, say the Italian FDA are more strict uh, with the rules. That's that's one thing that maybe my uh, work in helping um, people having access to higher quality food. That's not always the case, um, but I don't think there's there are a lot of cultural differences and the portions um, the portion are much bigger in America. 
and the lifestyle is much different. As you said, um, it is part of your daily life to walk uh, in, um, in Italy if you live in any city. Right. The city are very, very walkable. In America, and I live in California, we have sun like 360 days a year. Uh, people don't leave the yeah, house uh, by foot. Uh, they leave the house driving yeah. their cars. And in the end of the day, in the equation, the total daily energy expenditure, um, you you burn less. So um, my guess is a little bit is that a different lifestyle. And also it's different um, portions when it comes to food, for sure. So if you go to a restaurant, the portion might be different. And um, the foods are also, are also different. Say uh, you might have, say, I don't know, what a snack on an average base. Uh, I think from what I notice in America's uh, a much higher caloric content, uh, a much higher sugar content in Italy. That that's. I mean, you can still find uh, what you will refer as junk food, but is um, I don't feel like right. it's that packed. Um, and uh, I, I'm still learning about America. I've been living here uh, five years, but sometimes I go to the to the store and. Uh, and uh, and I look at some products. I'm like, I didn't thought these products exist or uh, the packages. So like, is, is this for a family of twelve or uh, is this made for uh, people like uh, uh, the Gronko like Gronkowski's mom that has like three NFL uh, players that are growing? Um, so you know. I wonder totally. what uh, what that yeah. is. It's uh, it's diff very very different. Um, but you can also look. I'll give you an example. So one of our ritual, um, almost like a religion. In the morning, you stop at the bar. Uh, sorry, coffee shop in Italy we call it il bar, and you ask yeah. for a coffee. So you go like coffee, per favore. They give you a coffee. It's about thirty milliliter, one fluid ounce. Uh, for for the American listeners. Uh, and uh, you might put like a little bit of sugar, but it's that's it. The coffee like basically doesn't little bit. Yeah, doesn't doesn't add many, many calories to your um, you know daily intake. You go to to Starbucks, there are certain coffees coffees that are 500 calories. Uh, and you drink that, you don't even realize it's, so um, it's not really filling because you, you basically drink it and you're ready. Like you start the day, uh, the, the Italian person will walk maybe uh, a mile and have just a coffee, maybe a coffee and a croissant. Um, the American person is driving to work and he's having, he's stopping by at Starbucks and he's getting this uh, um, <laughs> calorie packed drink so you see and then you go on uh through the day and uh that's that's what you get in the end yeah it's funny my my fiance and i so she studied nutrition at the university of san diego and we often you know whenever we go somewhere she'll always say you know can i get x y or z but can you make it less sweet and they go sure and she goes how much is a regular sweetness and a lot of times, if you're at a Starbucks, or if you're at a coffee shop, 
you go, how much is regular sweetness? And they go, seven pumps. And you go, seven pumps? Regular? How much is a pump? And they go, about a tablespoon. And you go, <laughs> you're putting at baseline. So before you add whipped cream, before you add all the stuff that people put in their drinks, at baseline, you're putting eight tablespoons of sugar syrup in the drink. And like you said, this is on the way to someone's work in their car, right? There's zero caloric expenditure in the process of acquiring it or the process of drinking it on the way to what they're doing. And yeah. it's it's funny. You also said about the the quantity. Like when I was working with clients in LA, you know, we'd be talking about food and nutrition choices. And I'd say, you know, where do you do your shopping? And they go, oh, well, I do shopping at Trader Joe's every week. And I go, okay, what do you usually get there? And they'll go, well, I'll get... Um, you know, seasoned chicken or seasoned steak. And so I'd go to Trader Joe's and I'd look and I'd go, okay, well, what are, what are they really getting here? And so you take a, a packaged carne asada, right? Or some steak and you flip it over. And there's like 30 times the daily allotment of sodium for a, a regular individual. And then the calorie count on the nutrition label is whatever, but the serving size for that package is like, 13 servings. So you do the math. And if they were to go home and just eat that for dinner, I mean, we're, we're talking thousands of calories in with them really not even knowing it because why would they read the label if they're not interested in this kind of stuff? It's yeah. kind of sad. Yeah. Um, that's really how it is. Um, you, you guys use I never heard like pumps in terms of, uh, as a way to measure the amount of uh, sweetness right. of sugar. As they say, Americans will use anything but yeah. the, <laughs> the metric system. <laughs> it's crazy. But the actual, so, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. but that makes sense, right? That's why. It's yeah. so that companies can go, oh, well, we only put six pumps in there. And someone goes, oh, well, it's only six. Yeah. They don't go, we put, you know, <laughs> however many ounces in it. Yeah. You know, you touched on on something that I want to circle back to, which I, I think is an interesting and also somewhat complicated concept that nutritionists seem to understand very well, which is this idea of energy balance. Could you expand on what energy balance is? Yeah, I mean, there's a, it's one of the basic concepts. Like, you know, we have, um, we have uh, all the books uh, that uh, wrote Plenty uh, about it. And um, basically, there is this uh, this concept that there's there are, you know no magic foods um, in the end. There's not a food that makes you lose weight um, despite the quantity that you eat. Basically, in theory, even if you just eat fruits and veggies in very very large amounts, uh, theoretically you can gain weight. It's very hard to do it, but uh, um, at at the end of the day, it all comes to uh, the simple like uh, equation: calories in and calories out. Where um, if you if you eat more than what you burn, then uh, you're gonna gain weight. Uh, on the opposite, you're gonna lose weight. Now, how how can you um, how can you um, influence that equation? Uh, for example, by increasing your resting metabolic rate, which is something we can uh, measure at the UFC Performance Institute, for example. It's very, very useful. It makes us understand how 
uh, if the, the engine is working, say. So if you're eating uh, enough food, your engine will, will work properly. You will have a high resting metabolic rate. Those people that go through those uh, three months long, uh, no carbs, very, very little calories wake up, uh, they will probably have a lower uh, resting metabolic rate. Um, and uh, it's... I mean, there there will be a lot to say about that, but basically, um, our body is smart. We made it this far in our evolution because our body could adapt, and our body is very good at mm-hmm. basically keeping the energy for itself, storing uh, storing fat. So, um, if we deprive our body from nutrients, from calories, for long enough, it will go into what we call the the starvation mode survival mode you call it the way you you prefer uh to preserve itself it will start you know you the resting metabolic rate will drop you will feel uh as a consequence more lethargic just because your body says like listen you're not putting enough energy uh here uh we need to slow you down otherwise basically we'll get closer to to die you know um these for a long time gave us uh, an uh how do you say evolutionary advantage uh now we live uh, in in a time of opulence right. and so it's not uh it's, it's not uh it's not as useful like anymore right and uh, if you don't have a solid uh, um relationship with food you're not you don't have that uh, education that helps you or that guidance to make the right choices, it's very, very, very easy to, you know, to gain weight, to develop uh, some, uh, how do you say, um, pathologies, uh, some disease, and uh, and yeah, that's 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 it. We talk about resting metabolic rate. Um, there are of course other factors: the the the, the amount of calories that you uh, that you burn while exercising, the amount of calories that you burn. Uh, when you're not exercising, but you're like you're you're still moving. That's what uh, I guess it's uh, it's pretty big in the in the average day of a of an Italian Spanish uh, Spanish person. So uh, you can work on all those um, those variables, uh, but in the end, uh, there there's gonna be a number with a plus or a minus or I mean or a zero in your caloric balance, and that will determine. Uh, basically what happens to to the body um as i said it's a complex matter um we could talk about it for for the whole episode but uh, uh as i'm sure the listeners want a takeaway message that's that's the, that's the takeaway message yeah so if if we lean lean into that that i'm going to i'm going to assume for, for the majority of people that they're not going to have access to uh a resting metabolic rate or active metabolic rate assessment, which is the most valuable place to start. You know, if you can get in and do that with a professional, it's incredibly valuable information because you can really fine tune how it is that your actual body spends calories. And so you can ramp those up or decrease them based on your demands. But if we're looking to, maybe we can kind of look at this from like a general principle, right? So if someone is is training jujitsu three to four times a week or they're 
they have mixed martial arts training a couple times a week, and they're they're managing that with strength training. How would you how would you get them to best start to understand their body and the demands it needs for the sport that they're doing? Like, what are some if you were to kind of group in a bunch of different jujitsu practitioners and say, hey, I understand the demands of your sport as partially anaerobic, partially aerobic, and involving strength and power. Here's some general principles that you can apply to your week to make sure that you're helping your body recover and also perform. Okay, that's it's it's a great uh, it's a great topic to bring up. Um, I will say the first thing is learn about yourself. Take a, a diary, a journal, and write about how you feel during the day. Write down the foods that you're eating for a week. It's part actually. It's a like create a f- food diary. Um, have create that. Um, I guess accountability, that's the right word, right? Uh, about what you're really putting in yeah, your body. Yeah. Uh, you can use softwares like MyFitnessPal, and then you'll have an idea of uh, um, yeah. of uh, how many calories you're putting in, in, in the body. You can also add to these the, your weight, uh, your weight progression. And, you know, you will have some basic informations about uh, uh, how things uh, are going for you. Um, I will not rely religiously on, um, fitness tracker, uh, because they are, um, they're not always as reliable. So say, give an example. Once I talked to an athlete, he told me that his, uh, fitness, uh, tracker told him that he, he just burned 370 calories and he was eating exactly what the device told him he spent um i i would not be um i mean i i, I will not uh, make i will not influence my life that much because of a device the device can kind of give us some some feedbacks uh but uh, i wouldn't rely on that i would rely more on the um, uh you know the how do you say the journaling uh, about your nutrition and uh, the weight evolution yeah. and uh, the feedback that you can write down about your day. How did you wake up? Did you wake up rested? Did you wake up sore? Um, those are the main thing. And this, of course, is uh, uh, for a person that uh, uh, is trying to do it by by themselves. You know, of course, it's uh, it's it's different if you have a professional right. that is helping you. Uh, I will say to all these people that. Uh, uh, marketing is a great tool, but can be used in wrong ways. Um, the science says that the higher the heart rate, yes. the more our body relies on carbohydrate, glycogen, etc. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, uh, use carbohydrates. So if you're training, don't be afraid to uh, have a good amount of carbohydrates in your day. Um, sugar, uh, simple, simple carbohydrates, uh, are not uh, necessarily bad for you. Um, it's the excess that can cause issues. So, yes, you can eat a banana, you can eat plenty of fruits and still be healthy. You can perform and be healthy. Uh, that's definitely something I will tell um 
I will tell a person, um, have enough protein. That's another, uh, that's another important part. Try to rely on uh, um, what they call uh, good fats. That's another uh, big principle. Uh, I'm a big fan of extra virgin, uh, extra virgin olive oil. Um, have plenty of, uh, besides fruits, also veggies. Uh, that's, you know, another thing that I've, I've seen missing in many athletes' lives. Um, prioritize hydration uh, and sleep. I think if you start, like, following these, uh, these basic uh, but very effectful guidelines, you already did uh, at least half of the job. So let's uh, let's dig in a little bit on these and uh, start to separate maybe general health practices from performance health practices. And maybe this is where you can uh, provide a little bit of your expertise on the side of the athlete. So if we're looking at someone who is invested in peak performance, so I, and, I, and I'll even group into this, maybe someone who's going to compete at no gi worlds or gi worlds, something like that, where you have a, an end date in mind that is where you are trying to really hone in and, and peak your performance against a competitor in a sport that we both understand, which is martial arts. So can you kind of unpack what it means to be eating for performance in that setting? Well, yes. Uh, but I mean, Abe, uh, I believe that, um, um, healthy uh, nutrition choices and uh, and performance uh, can can happen at the same time. Um, I come from from an area where the uh, Mediterranean day, diet is uh, is prevalent, and uh, there there are huge correlation, for example, between the Mediterranean lifestyle uh, and uh, and longevity. So I try to incorporate the same principles in uh, what I do. Um, with my athletes, it makes sense scientifically. It's easier for me because I know the nuances of the Mediterranean lifestyle. That's, you know, where I lived. And uh, athletes, people like it. So it creates a very, very uh, good engagement. Uh, what changes, of course, is the, um, is the caloric intake, uh, the carbohydrate intake that compared to a, a regular person are, uh, are much, much higher. Um, I guess we could discuss if uh, practicing professional sport uh, is um, good for your health long time, uh, which probably not necessarily. Right. Uh, because probably of, is not. Uh, probably right. is uh, is not. If if one wants like wants to go for longevity, probably shouldn't uh, shouldn't grapple uh, five times per day. Uh, five times per week uh, with sprinkles of uh, everyday pojada uh, in it, uh, lift very heavy, uh, and yeah. then going to competition and uh, uh, yeah. maybe uh, you know be a victim of an uchigari uh, and uh, and fall on his uh, on his back, right? Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I guess we are we're all adults. People can make their 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 choices if that. That makes you happy, and you're willing to sacrifice uh, part of your, I mean, lo longevity if you want, well-being, uh, to be happy in another yeah, way. Longevity. 
yeah then then for you sure. can do it um that's it's not just for uh, i think it's a broad um it's a broad concept it's not just for for sports for it's not just for mma or combat sport it's for every sport uh i work with nhl nhl athletes that were beat up to say the least uh i work with uh, american football athletes that got yeah. signed with nfl teams and their bodies is 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 beat up um destroyed it's it's right. yeah it's part of yeah. that uh, extreme level of competition that fills arenas uh and uh, and sells uh, sells pay-per-views so uh, what we can try to do as performance professional is to diminish to reduce the impact that certain activities can have uh on the human body but we will not uh, we we will not be able to 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 cancel uh to remove any risk or any damage from professional sport. I think it's it's in the nature of uh, um, how do you say of pushing the body to the extreme against another person that is trying trying to do the same, uh, right? So uh, that's actually something right. that makes me um, quite mad uh, when discussing the topic of uh, cutting weight. Um, I can say proudly that I never told an athlete that my weight cuts are healthy. So describing a weight cut process as healthy, I think it's intellectually uh, incorrect. Weight cut is always a risk. It's probably, we can define it as an occupational risk for uh, a fighter. Um, Can be done in in the most if you want a balanced way, um, we can reduce the amount of weight that we, we will cut uh, in terms of, um, say, water, what we call the water that we lose in the last 24 hours. But um, if the person wants to compete at a weight that is not his uh, natural weight, he will have to accept that he's, how do you say, it's getting into an area, it's getting into a... Um, a process that is risky. So um, now, if the we're adults, if the person yeah. accepts that, um, what can we say, right? Um, I, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's it's one choice to do it. The important is being transparent uh, about um, about about the process, about what we do. I think the UFC Performance Institute has been doing a great job uh, by providing athletes for free with DEXA scan for people that don't know a DEXA scan is basically means like you're going to lay on a bed. It's not really a bed, but it's, how do you say a surface and you have a scanner that uses uh, uh, yeah. low um, x-rays uh, that will go through the body and will tell you what's your lean mass, what's your fat mass, what's your bone density. So and the, 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 the PI will give you a, a paper uh, that tells you the weight and where you are in relationship in yeah in relationship to your weight class so you can be in a green zone where you're like okay yeah you can make weight it's not going to be it's not going to be a big deal um you can be in the orange zone and be like eh it starts to be it starts to be a process like uh, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna take some effort and then you have the red one and um and it's like well 
you, we can consider strategies. Uh, you can we can decide to drop on lean mass. That is also like a way to go uh, if you want to make weight. But uh, considering where you are right now, where's your weight and what's your lean mass? If you want to make weight uh, with these say uh, parameters, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard on you. It's gonna be um, it's it's not gonna be definitely a walk on the park. Not that the green and the and the and the yellow uh, the, the the orange area. Are, are are walking the park but especially the red one uh, is uh, is you know requires some pretty uh, how do you say uh, drastic intervention some athletes are are okay with that uh, what can I say some athletes uh, they listen when you say you should move up a weight class so uh, it depends from from person to person um, what do you think about this topic? Can you describe to me what is happening physiologically when someone goes through a weight cut? Yes. Uh, I mean, I cannot really go into details because I think uh, an MD will have the expertise, someone that's, whose expertise is internal medicine. Um, but yeah, basically there is, um, there are two different I will say there are different phases during the fight week. Um, unlikely, uh, what you think, the person drinks, uh, depending on how much weight they need to cut, uh, uh, up to like very close to the um, to the, the official weigh-ins. Might be sometimes it's like six hours, sometimes it's uh, eight hours. Um, there's when you get to that point, you can people usually start to do what we call uh, active, uh, the active part of the weight cut, where you will engage uh, in some exercise uh, with the goal of depleting the glycogen that is in your muscle. Yep. Uh, and we know that uh, it's not just the glycogen; it's the water that's uh, um, in it. We say si coordina. It's coordinated. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's uh, I say entangled with the glycogen, uh, but it's uh, linked, connected yeah. to the glycogen, which is about um, yeah. 2.4, 2.7 grams of water per grams of glycogen. So uh, you will deplete your glycogen, you will also sweat. Um, and then after that, uh, to cut the last, uh, last part of the weight, uh, you rely on passive dehydration. Which is um, which is basically doesn't involve so exercise, like, like sauna, bathtub. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yes, uh, and of course, um, on top of that, during fight weeks, there are other techniques to try to uh, drop body weight. Um, for example, uh, lowering uh, fiber content uh, in the diet in the last two three days before weigh-ins uh, to basically. Um, decrease the amount of weight that's related to uh, feces um and yeah uh, essentially at the time yep. the, it always depends on the uh, uh amount of uh, weight that has been cut uh but uh, i can tell you 99 percent uh, of the the cases the athlete that steps on the scale uh, is glycogen depleted meaning that um, if you had to uh push for uh, prolonged amount of time uh, will not be able to perform and uh, and he's uh, he's dehydrated uh, to 
to a certain extent. Um, that is the main, I guess, the main, the main issues uh, with Wicked. So, um, so p- people always guesstimate, like when when you see a a fighter step on the scale, and sometimes let's say they went through a pretty substantial cut, yes. and they look emaciated, they look dehydrated, they look kind of like taut, taut in their face, and then you see them. I mean, even Armand, right? You guys had an incredibly successful cut. He looked pretty healthy he looked thin but they all do when they get on this on the scale and then when he came in he looked you know much more filled out yeah uh but he also looked like he was ready to fight for 25 rounds straight i mean Mm -hmm. the guy's a freak how much is their body changing from the time that they get on the scale to the next morning because fans i think always like to speculate especially online oh he put on 25 pounds they put on 30 pounds Oh, they must be walking around at this and they fight at that. What is a realistic range that we see in a fighter who steps on the stage uh, like Armand yeah. and then goes in and fights and they're, they're visibly larger, they're visibly more filled out, they look healthy again. What's that 24 or 48-hour period like for the fighters? Again, Sorry, Abe, if I bring it up many times, but we need to un- we need to really make sure that people understand that every athlete is different. So you cannot really uh, drop numbers for for everyone. I can tell you, we talk. You're asking me about the 155 division, Arman, and I can tell you that I believe that uh, at the UFC level, uh, there are n- not many athletes that will wait uh, at the time time of the competition. Uh, less than 170 pounds mm-hmm. to give you an idea. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. There are also some variables to consider because, because uh, you know, we need, to be, we need to be precise in the description of this research process. So um, if we go from a state of um, glycogen depletion to properly uh, reintroducing the carbohydrates, um in in the body there might there's some evidence that uh, the, the the body might retain more uh so you actually wait gotcha. more than if you didn't uh at least might be yeah uh you wait more than if you didn't do the 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 the, the deload and then the reload uh the the super compensation um yeah there's there's a lot of research about that in the endurance world so uh cycling uh, um running triathlon um and there's also another thing to say is um at the time of the competition is it's usually later at night and um and uh, and of course a person gains weight through throughout the day while the wanes are uh first thing in the morning uh so but uh, right i will say i will say that a large amount of lightweight will not wake up the day of the competition less than 167 i'm pretty confident about this yeah. statement uh now there are still people that don't cut you remember and so they're one? they're 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 gaining this back um you made a good point like the the fights are often in the evening. Some of these guys are fighting, you know, main card starts at 7 p.m. for a pay-per-view. So these guys are fighting at 11.30, almost midnight. And so you've had the weigh-ins 
what, you know, a day and a half before. And then you have the whole time where you're actually just kind of eating naturally. And and maybe you're alongside your nutritionist or they're, you're kind of following them around and you guys are talking about how they feel and what they're, you know, how much they're walking that day, if they're going to do a light pad work or something like that. And so by the time you get to that evening, they've had a full normal day of being themselves, right? Yes. And so you're just going to retain uh, water weight, you're going to fill out more. And so even though, and I agree, I think it's very important, very important to disclose that there is no weight cut that is a healthy weight cut. The act of weight cutting itself is a performance-based thing to do for sport. And that's very, very important because I think that sometimes people see what these athletes do and they go, hey, we look to athletes for pretty much everything. We look to them to try to be like them, to emulate how they work out, to emulate how they sleep. Why don't we also emulate how they control their weight? And if you're an average person just cutting weight for a family event, that's not a, it's not a process that the average person's body should be going through if your goals are more days on the planet, longevity, and a good relationship with food. That is such a key point to make. I appreciate that you said that. It's important. And uh, some people might somehow appreciate the challenge that comes from a weight cut because they say it makes them um, mentally stronger. Yeah, but this word has a wide variety of people. Um, And uh, people like Tim Kennedy, to give you an example, are not that are, are quite rare, I will say. Uh, so I I wouldn't, um, right. yeah, I, I will really. I, I'm trying to put an effort on that and losing, by the way, uh, some substantial amount of um, uh, possibility of financial gain because you know if I were to create a program like you know lose ten pounds in three days, seventy two hours. Uh, I write an ebook. I probably make a lot of money out of it. I just don't think it's uh, it's uh, it's correct. Yeah. Um, cutting weight is is right. it comes with a level of danger. Um, might give you an advantage uh, in the cage, but it's an occupational risk. That is the that is the 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 thing that we need to make sure people people do that. If people want to do it, you know, they 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 fully understand it. That's good. Uh, they need to be adults, though. Uh, I'm against uh, younger people cutting weight. Um, yeah, I, I think there's also another problem. It's not as much MMA related because uh, I don't think you ha- can fight as a pro uh, when you're uh, underage. But uh, jujitsu related, yeah. yes, it is. But jujitsu, it is. You work with with Dante Leon, and yes. I was able to have him on the show, which was amazing to talk to him. And he's such a, a phenom of like a true strength training enthusiast. And he's invested uh, with you on working closely on his nutrition. And he's a, a high-class world competitor, right? I mean, this guy is of the best available right now. And hearing him uh, and also seeing what he shares, I, I think it's really interesting. When he shares the tracking that you guys are doing, it appears to be a, a very, a, a rather healthful approach where he's eating food that tastes good, that looks good, that is good, 
and he's doing it in a way that allows him to maintain his strength yeah. and then compete at a high level, which is, I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of what everybody wants to do, but they have a tough time managing those two things. When you're working with someone like Dante, how do, like, when you think about the demands of jujitsu are obviously very different than the demands of mixed martial arts, right? Being in a cage for 25 minutes with, uh, an unlimited amount of possibilities that could happen is going to be a different demand on your body than if you're at Nogi Worlds, you know exactly how long the match is going to be. You're limited in the strikes that you can give or receive. It's going to be a grappling exchange. When you look at his demands versus, let's say, another guy like Marvin Vittori, what's the biggest difference that you see with with grappling sports and, and jiu-jitsu specifically? Well, to be honest with you... From a nutritional uh, view. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say, uh, to be honest with you, working with many different athletes that uh, uh, nutrition for grappling or wrestling, because I also work with wrestlers, uh, is too different uh, compared to MMA in the sense that the training session from what I've seen so far are, are, are pretty similar. What can change is the um, nutrition and supplementation protocol uh, on competition day being... IBJJF type of competition where you need to compete uh, multiple times. So uh, I will say that uh, both the nutrition and supplementation protocol, uh, say of competition of Marvin and uh, Dante are quite, Arman and Dante are quite similar. Um, what it changes is the way we, we fuel the, the competition for sure. Um, so that's, that's the main thing. And right. uh um, we definitely use more in jujitsu, uh, those, um, carbs gel. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, C sports, uh, like makes one goo. Yeah. Goo. goo. Uh, I don't know the brand goo. I use yeah. Martin. I heard, uh, I mean, I use, well, um, it's like, uh, it's like glucose, right? It's like a glucose gel. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them might have a, a mix of maltodextrin and uh, and and other and other carbohydrates. Some they have uh, fructose, uh, but yeah, uh, we use that a lot because we need to recharge in between uh, bouts. Uh, but uh, besides that, ah, and another thing—it's my um, I will say, chef touch. Uh, it depend depending on the competition. Uh, but say you have a competition like Wards, um, you if you're taking say on uh, any uh, caffeine that could be a supplement, you can take it like the Italian way with coffee, or um, or you know through a, a supplement. Uh, you might want to wait, especially if you have an athlete like Dante till the semifinals uh, or the finals, so they can kick in when uh, they're really needed. Uh, instead of like um, having like caffeine throughout the whole day, might be a little you know disrupting uh, for the guy uh, at the at the right, end of right. the day. Uh, while you know, of course, MMA, as you said, it's a uh, uh, one shot competition. Uh, so you'll do uh, you'll take your um, your carbohydrates, uh, your caffeine um, right before uh, right before the the bout, and only only once. So let's let's talk briefly about carbohydrates because yes. this is a I, I think in diet culture, right? In diet culture, 
Carbohydrates are often demonized. Yes. Uh, in the carnivore diet, they want you to get away from them. In X, Y, or Z diet, they want you to get away from them because carbohydrates, if they're unused, are going to turn to fat, and then you're going to add weight, and then you're going to be out of shape. And so you should just eat a low-carb diet or avoid carbohydrates. Don't eat bread. Don't eat rice. It's all this don't eat this, don't eat that approach, which I think is horrible because it's it's just not true. You can totally eat those things in the right quantities. In fact, you should because the sports that you're doing demand that you have them in your engine. But how, how should we view as enthusiasts of martial arts and jujitsu and strength training, right? Yeah. How should we view carbohydrates? What are they doing for us? Why are they important? And how should we consume them in and around our sport? Yes, great question. Um, so first of all, we're talking about the general population. There are some medical conditions where uh, we're not going to get into that, where low-carb diets might be helpful, but we're just talking about the general population, right? General athletic Correct. population. Um, carbohydrate, guys, it, as we said earlier, it's fuel. The, 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 the heart starts beating faster, carbohydrates are going to be needed. We can have them as we exercise or we can store them. Um, as we said, the, the form of storage uh, for carbohydrates is called glycogen. We find it in the muscles when we find it um, uh, in the liver. And um, it's easy uh, to have access to it compared to fat storage. Uh, our body uh, stores much more energy in fat compared to carbohydrates, but that's not easily accessible. So if you want to perform in this sport, you need to put to it that those damn carbohydrates. Timing. Timing. Depending on the type of session. It always depends, 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 because every scenario asks for uh, a different intervention. Are we having open mat, everyday pohada? We're going to try to kill each other, wrist locks, leg locks, yeah. all of the that like evil <laughs> stuff. We want to get there with uh, proper glycogen storage. We want to get there with the optimal site, uh, status of hydration. That's always, we always want to be hydrated. Um, we, if, 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 we're going to do multiple rounds. We want to consider supplementing with carbohydrates during the session. And then we, we need carbohydrates to recover after the, 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 the open mat, right? Uh, I'm just discussing carbohydrates now because you ask for carbohydrates, not protein and fat. Yes, yes. Differently, say we have a strength and conditioning session. Say we're training plyometrics you know uh it's another type of work doesn't um doesn't uh how do you say doesn't involve uh the same type of uh, um doesn't have the same demands in terms of uh, macronutrients in that case even if we don't fuel properly uh, if, sorry even if we don't fuel heavily on carbohydrates we can still like have um, a, a fair a fair session. It's one of the few cases when you don't really need to, in my opinion, to load on carbs. A session like 
a, a plyometric one. Um, you're going to have long rest. Uh, you're basically, you just want to train your, uh, your body to be a response to a, uh, nervous stimulus, but the strength and conditioning session, open mats or oh, drilling also might be like a different, like fall within that case where we don't have to, to fully, uh, pack our body with carbs and, uh, supplement in, uh, in, um, during the process, but, uh, any other uh, type of activity which involves uh, an eye pace needs to be fueled before, during, and after the workout. Um, especially if we have multiple training sessions per day. Um, I think if we have, say, a jiu-jitsu class in the morning and then we're having, say, an open mat at night, and uh, um, say we start recharging just after the first session, uh, the recovery is going to be slower. It's going to be uh, impaired, and we might not be ready, depending on much time we have uh, in between the session, to perform on the second one. So, right. um, yeah, people like eat pasta, go faster. That's what they say. Yeah. So speaking of speaking of, I've been so excited to ask you about this because yeah. Mikey Musumeci is such a phenomenal yeah. jujitsu practitioner. He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, he continually shows up time over time and just proves his technical skill, his athleticism, but also from a, you know, a fan standpoint, I think Mikey is good for jujitsu. He's a, he is appearing as a good person, right? Yes. Like he's, I think he represents this, the sport well. And I, I, I don't think that that's always true for some of these athletes, given that it's fight sports, right? Part of yes. fight sports is that you're a fighter, like you're brash. And that's part of the brand. That's part of what you have chosen to do for a living. Mikey is like a secret assassin. Like the guy looks so unassuming and he will tie you up in a knot and choke you out before you even say hello, right? That's how good he is. The dude eats more pasta and pizza than anyone I know. And I know, I know that there's people out there that see that and they go, damn, I wish I could do that. Can we do that? How is he consuming so many carbohydrates and, and does, is that really true? Is he eating other things also? You know, um, how does a guy like Mikey function? And cause you've worked with him side yes. by side, right? Yes. Uh, and I'm still like in touch with him. We talk. Um, so Mikey, unfortunately was one of those people, uh, afflicted by, um, the, the no carb, uh, plague back in the days that's before we started to work mm -hmm. together uh that's i think that was the time where he won words and he had to shave uh, his head um after that i moved to america um i i was lucky enough to win adcc with tanquino and uh mike i think reached out to him to have some info uh, about how he could like be healthy and stuff. Uh, so he connected me. We talked the first time and I realized there was an issue. Now, uh, the big part of our work at the beginning was make him understand, make him realize that he could eat, be lean, uh, perform by also having carbohydrates in his diet. We added that. And then, um, 
I would say Mike Mikey is unique. He's a unique is uh, a unique athlete. Uh, and he, he kind of like uh, by himself he created this uh, um, Muzumeci diet. Uh, that's that's uh, the way he referred yeah. to it, I guess, uh, with Joe Rogan uh, chatting about that. Um, he created this Muzumeci diet where he eats, um, or at least he used to eat, uh, once per day. Uh, heavily, heavily packing the meal with the carbs, uh, um, lower uh, protein intake, and uh, um, I mean oil mainly, uh, fats mainly through uh, extra virgin olive oil. Um, is it true that he really yeah. ate like that? Yes, for sure, absolutely. Um, it is something. I mean, we chat about that. Um, I honestly I talk to him. Uh, about the possibility of changing uh, some things up because I think uh, it will do even better <laughs> on on another protocol. But he's, um, you know, he's, um, it, it, we're in a process, you know. Um, it, it takes time. It takes time to switch from one thing to another. But yes, uh, it really it's like that. And uh, uh, can other, could other people eat like that? Um well, again, I, I don't think it is the specific like one meal per day um, uh, regimen will be uh, okay for for most people. Uh, but if you were to train as much as Mikey, uh, I think yeah, uh, you're you like uh, how do you say? I don't want to use the word like survive on it, but like. Uh, yeah, you could eat like that. Um, you, it, it, it is just, uh, how do you say? Yeah, I think it'll be better uh, for most people to split uh, that amount of calories uh, in multiple meals per day, I would say. Uh, yeah. For people questioning the amount of calories that he eats, uh, you should live 24 hours with Mikey to understand how much he trains. Um it yeah, trains. I was gonna say it's. Crazy. I think it's easy for people to, it's easy for people to look at someone, especially on social media, and go, you know, you're seeing a snapshot. You're seeing the guy in his kitchen eating one meal. Yeah. You have no idea that these guys live in the academy. In some cases, literally live in the academy. Right. They are yeah. in the morning. They're doing a session. In the afternoon, they're doing a session, and in the evening, they're doing a session, and they do that every single day, all week long. So if you took their resting metabolic rate, and then you measured their active metabolic rate, they're probably barely even meeting a baseline eating like that because they are working so much. And when they train, there is a difference in martial arts. When you are training with your fellow teammates, and when you watch the top guys train with other top guys, and they're all trying to become the absolute best. There is no yeah. chill. There's calculated chill and there's a ton of work. So they are going hard, uh, you know, calculatedly, but in a different capacity than the average person. And to be fair, a lot of this boils back down to the original principle that you talked about, which is energy balance. Like if, if your expenditure is in excess of your consumption, then you can have your consumption be what it may. The problem in America is that most people's consumption is super high and their expenditure is relatively low because of all the factors that you had mentioned earlier. So yeah. 
it's so easy for companies and marketing to demonize a macronutrient or demonize a vegetable or a piece of food instead of looking at the whole problem in earnest, which is that the balance is, is messed up. You're driving to Starbucks and you're getting a venti, mocha, whatever, super sugar drink, and then you're driving to your office, you're taking the elevator upstairs, and then you're sitting all day. Yeah. There's no, nothing. So no matter what you eat, right, it's going to be an yeah. excess. It's just yeah. a... I, I like on on your website you had uh, you have a little snippet um, mentioning just like this failure to recognize the social socio cultural significance of food in our lives. Yes, and absolutely. I love that. I love that because it's food is so beautiful, man. It's yeah. so beautiful and it's so culturally important. I mean, you go around yes. the world and some of the most unique experiences you can have in another country is eating their food because it's been passed down from it, it, you're eating you're taking a bite of time and it's it's that special you should fucking enjoy the hell out of that oh yeah of course because it, that's exactly what you're saying nutrition it is not just uh, um i guess macronutrients it's a social moment you know, it's right. a lot of psychology inside that. Um, a lot of things that revolve around the table uh, are proven, uh, I guess, to increase longevity. Eating with other people, talking to other people while eating instead of watching in front of the television um, will create something very positive. Um Having like, as we say in Italian, la passeggiata, so you eat with your friends, then you go walking around the block, around the neighbor a little bit. It's it's healthy. That's why there are situations. I don't know if you're familiar with the with the French paradox. Um, it is uh, basically there are certain areas where people uh, enjoy a glass of wine uh, with meals, and they have which of course we know that ethanol is not good for 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 us. Uh, but they still have uh, yes. very, very uh, big, how do you say, um, they have a long life. Uh, it's not, it's, of course, it's not the wine that, that makes you live longer. If anything, the wines works a little bit against right. you. Yes, if you want to be apologetic like me on Christmas Day, when I'm going to go with uh, a <laughs> bottle of Ripasso Valpolicella, then you say it's the poly, polyphenols, the polyphenols. Yeah. You go like, yeah, it's the polyphenols, antioxidants, and you start drinking. But, you know, if you want to be serious, you know that ethanol is, uh, is, is, not, is not good for you. But what, what revolves around the glass of wine is um is all the the the, the social aspect meeting people uh, you know um scream laugh uh, that that has as a as a has a role and uh that's also what i trying to do uh during fight weeks you know uh, with the ufc guys uh i'm there with them with fight weeks and uh, I, i'm not a chef uh, I, I think chef is something much, much better than what I am in terms of cooking. But I'm a amateur cook. I'm a recreational cook. And I like to cook for people. But like yeah. having the whole team sitting at the same table, discussing the fight, discussing joking and yeah. stuff. Um, 
it's uh, it, it brings a positivity to the um, to the fight camp to the fight week, and somehow I think it, it, it can have a positive impact um, on uh, on the fight. I, I I really believe that. Yeah, when we were in um, so when we were in in Germany, we took a train from Berlin to Prague, and we walked around Prague while we were there. And I distinctly remember there was this one day our hotel was up in this little like. Uh, up below the castle and as we were walking by there was this cafe that we would walk by every day and at like 3 30 4 p.m you would see this huge group of adults like I, I would say 45 up through like 60 and they were clearly uh, you know congregating on their way home from their work or whatever like that and they were all just sitting outside no phones they weren't buried in their phones and they were all enjoying a glass of wine and I look at that and I go, okay, science shows us one thing, right? We know that ethanol is bad for us. We know that yeah. alcohol is, is literally poisonous in our body. It's not something that's going to promote recovery. It doesn't help us sleep better. It's not going to help us perform at a high level in anything that we do. But here are these people who they're not binge drinking. They're not drunk college students at a party at 2 a.m. They're adults having a glass of wine together, but it was what they were doing. It was, and this happens with food too. It's not the thing, but it was, it was the social interaction. It was the group of them together sharing uh, life, stories, whatever it was for that time in the day. Of course. And there's a huge, you know, you, maybe you don't measure that with uh, science so robustly, but there's something there. That's a, a value. And then you know what they did? They would walk away. They go walk somewhere, right? So you go, you have this meal, you have a glass of wine, and you go walk. And that was a theme that kept showing up in our trip is that after dinner, we would walk back to the hotel or after lunch, we would walk to the next place and your digestion improves, you know, you, how your body feels throughout the day improves. All of these things are just a product of like how you're interacting with food in the country. Yeah. And that is something that feels very different from how we interact with it here, I think. Yeah, there's that for sure. Um, there's also the very, I mean, America is a great place. I love America. Uh, I love America. Um, but uh, sometimes to do, uh, to, to, to make a good living, you really need to work a lot. It'll be, you'll be subject to a lot of, uh, a lot of, yeah. a lot of stress. Uh, that can be overwhelming. And I can tell you because, um, uh, even though I know all these things, uh, I'm aware of all these things and I live the Mediterranean way, then I came here and there was <clears throat> so much going on um, because basically I, I started from, from nothing. Uh, so many uh, worries, uh, the, the will to try to always like attract uh, more people to what I do. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, before I realized I was working um, seven days, uh, seven days a week, nonstop. And, um, and, uh, you know, you see, so it's, it's not that, uh, that easy uh, to, to, to get away from, uh, from these, uh, these dynamics, if the, uh, the environment uh, is, uh, is, uh, how do you say? Um, yeah, is reaching stress, or it's, it will push you to do, to do something different. So, Besides telling people how many grams of carbs they need to eat, I like to think that I'm also helping them 
a little bit direct their lives or at least their relationship with food uh, yeah. beyond just that uh, the, 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 yeah, those those amounts uh, those amounts of uh, uh, of food I'm not never gonna call myself a life coach by the way that's uh, that's never gonna happen but <laughs> speaking of, of of food and life um, yeah. in the in the last couple of minutes here I'd love to touch briefly just because it is uh, geared towards performance and this is something that I think every single person who's listening to this has come in contact with some sort of supplement marketing and if they're n- not sure that that's true there's supplements right behind me that sponsor the show so it's everywhere that we look right it's it's part of the health and wellness culture it's a billion dollar industry and it's also very confusing as a consumer to know what is what is safe what is useful what actually benefits the things that we do so yeah. when you think about mixed martial arts strength and conditioning yep. grappling wrestling what are kind of the initial supplements that come to mind where you're like you know what these are they increase performance. They're generally safe for most people. Of course, we should say that you should visit with your doctor in any capacity before you adopt any new supplement protocol. But what are things that come to mind that you think are are necessary and useful supplements for the average grappler, wrestler, mixed martial yes. artist? Can I add a note, an introductory note to, to my answer? So Yes. <laughs> The food industry is more regulated than the supplement industry. Um, it's uh, it's important for people to know the meat that you uh, bring to the table did go through more uh, scrutiny compared to your whey protein. That's a fact. Doesn't mean that all supplements are uh, poorly made, but of course. Uh, some people might work, some companies might work towards the quality, some others towards the quantity. Um, there is a huge problem for um, competitors under a USADA program, and that's the tainted supplement, um, uh, how do you say, uh, issue. Uh, and that's because uh, for, for that reason, there's little little scrutiny on uh, on a supplement, uh, even when it's uh, it's on the market. So first thing is, I think, as as a person that trains, um, as a matter of fact, I'm a blue belch. Um, as a person that trains, I will not congratulations. Us, um, I will not put. Uh, yes. I will. I will not put my in my body a supplement that is not third party tested. That is my 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 first uh, like uh, NSF. Yes, Usada yeah, certified. Yeah. Yuzada says, I mean, Yuzada says that uh, the best way uh, not to get any uh, tainting, tainting, tainting ingredient is not to take any supplements. Broad statement, yeah, of course, is good. Um, it's like, if you want to live longer, don't get stressed. Yes, life is different, though. Um, <clears throat> uh, then they say, if you are going to use a supplement, the gold standard for us as of today is i mean i didn't check this morning but uh, a couple of weeks ago it was like that and it was like that for a few years now it's nsf certified for sports it's important to add certified for sports because nsf can be 
a lot of certification. Like my water filter is NSF certified, but not for uh, for sports, for I guess other 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 agents. Um, yes, once we get into that uh, into that area of third party tested supplements. I would say, first of all, have a food first approach. So whatever you need to put in your body, try to to, to get it from, from food. That's very, very useful. Uh, in terms of supplements for the average population, again, everyone should consult with, a, with an healthcare professional, with their physician before starting to take any supplements. I would say um, supplements for hydration uh, are will be could be useful in grappling. Um, definitely, especially if we train for a prolonged amount of time, um, carb supplements might be helpful if we're having multiple training sessions per day or prolonged training sessions. Um, there is a, uh, of course, evidence on whey protein or essential amino acids for recovery. Uh, and muscle protein synthesis. There, of yeah. course, a strong body of evidence around creatine monohydrate. Um, now they're studying like the effects on creatine on concussions. Um, there's still like a lot of research to be done, but uh, definitely the the, the widest mm-hmm. uh, studied supplement uh, on the market. Um, creatine monohydrate, that's the form that he studies the most. So don't need to, to uh, spend extra money on, on different, more expensive, more, uh, marketed forms. Uh, the very simple creatine monohydrate, uh, does the job. Um, you know, this, I will say is the, 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 the very, the very baseline, uh, if we're talking about supplements for performance, if we want to go a little like uh, over and add something to the equation. There's some evidence about beta-alanine. Um, beta-alanine uh, can help in the type of um, performance that is required in jiu-jitsu. Uh, beta-alanine is uh, a component of carnosine, which is a protein that uh, um, can, how do you say, uh, buffer hopefully I, I use the right English words, but buffer the lact, uh, lactic uh, buildup. Um, it's, uh, it's not very uh, easy to absorb, uh, so we cannot supplement uh, uh, with, uh, with carnosine, but beta-alanine can be uh, supplementing with one of its components, uh, can, be, uh, can lead to... Um, to uh, better performance but again this is very subjective some people might have some tingling uh, that can be off-putting can be a little um, yeah uh, not the best uh, feeling Um, caffeine of course um, it has some effects on performance Uh, there are actually there are some studies even though the the population of the study is very little uh brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes i think uh to increase their uh their strength uh there's some evidence about the uh that the co-ingestion of caffeine and carbs uh, can increase the uh carbs uh, absorption rate um but i mean i think not yeah magnesium also there's some evidence about that um but the, the thing is, yeah. once you once you handle your training periodization, um, once you handle your nutrition, once you handle your sleep, 
and your hydration, you already did like 90% of the 95% yeah. of the, uh, the work and I've been conservative, then you can do that extra step yeah. and, uh, um, and add some supplements to your regimen under the supervision of a professional. But, uh, you know, to quote one of the greats of strength training, um, Louis Simmons don't have a hundred dollar pair of shoes and a $1 squat, you know? have a hundred dollar squat, uh, <laughs> squat technique and a $1 pair of shoes, yes. you know, yeah. there's always some to upgrade on that, yeah. that part. But I, know. Uh, I think it's, it's so funny with, with supplements. I get it. Psychologically. I, I get why people are drawn to them because even with everything that I know, and I'm sure everything, you know, I'm drawn towards them too. I, I like performance. I like leveling up my ability to perform in the things I like to do. And so it's easy to look to them as kind of an answer, but it's, it is hard to get someone to accept that investing in your sleep, if you took the next year of your life and you had two people and one of them took creatine monohydrate, electrolytes every day, beta alanine, carnitine, and they did everything. And then you took the other person and then you just got them to sleep 30 more minutes a day. Yeah. The person who improves their sleep by 30 minutes will look like an Olympic athlete compared to a high school athlete. I mean, the performance advantages you get from just improving your sleep, which is when all the good stuff happens to your body anyway, is so much great. It's, it's disproportionately so much greater yeah. than the little bit of benefit that you can get from the supplements. So it's always, I always like touching on this with professionals because you bring such good clarity to it. You know, I, I love that you said you're food first. I think that's incredible. I think everyone, we should all be food first. Yes. That's because that's the biggest chunk of where you're getting. That's where you're winning or losing yeah. is the whole food sources that you are or are not consuming. Yeah. It's not in the supplement that you got on Amazon for $15 off on Black Friday. No. Yeah. And yeah, and stop watching those instructional so, so while you're gotta, eating. That's also you. another important thing. Like enjoy the food for what it is. You don't need uh, to. You don't need to stay in front of a screen while you're yes. eating. That's an important part. Another thing, and here I have a chip on my shoulder because I, you know, some some people laugh at me since yes. I moved to America. So I like to wake up early, like around five, five thirty, um, and uh, now, like in about one hour, I will take a nap. You know. If, if that helps you to be more productive in the second part of the day, increase your creativity, your energy level, your mood, it's like, it doesn't mean that you're, it doesn't mean that you're, uh, you're a lazy person, like, oh, lazy, lazy Italian. Uh, you're playing the long game, actually, because I wake up at 5, uh, 5.45. Yeah. Uh, by the time you're getting to the office at 9, uh, I already, like, train my dogs. Um, I already, like, started to, like, reply emails i probably like already deliver a couple of protocols then yes at 11 i take a break 11 30 i cook my meal i'm lucky enough to have the office inside the house um i eat healthy take a 15 minutes nap it's not that i sleep for two hours by the time like i fall asleep uh, and i sleep 15 minutes 30 <laughs> minutes has gone by and i'm ready to rock and roll for another half a day and uh when it's 10 i'm like uh maybe even 9.30, I'm calling it. So 
uh, yeah, play the long game. That's the that's the thing when it comes to all these uh, all these uh, these variables. Okay, so I got to ask you. I got to ask you, as a professional, right? Like knowing everything that you know about nutrition, working with the top fighters that you've worked with as recently as Armand, who just won, right, is now probably in the serious conversation for contention for the title. I, I personally think that that makes total sense. When you go to jujitsu, when you show up for training, what do you do before and after? Like, what are you actually as as a someone who coaches people on this? Like, what's in your bag? What's in your water bottle when you're going to training? Well, yes. First of all, I do jujitsu because I have fun doing jujitsu. So I'm not looking for that peak performance. Uh, I never competed. Uh, and I don't know right. if I'm ever going to compete. That's much different compared to... Uh, I used to be a water polo player in high school. That was much different scenario. Because uh, yeah. there I, I was I was playing to win. Uh, so, I mean, I try to apply the, the same principles uh, depending on the time that I have. Because, of course, uh, the guys keep me busy, luckily. Uh, either I have a protein shake with a bunch of fruit um some yeah i i mix fruit usually frozen mangoes blueberries um whey protein um and stuff like that or if i was uh lucky enough that i bake some bread because i like to bake my uh my own bread at home uh i make a sandwich a panino so good uh, now, unfortunately, the price of uh, of uh, prosciutto, brezaola, it's uh, super outrageously high in the United <laughs> States. So, um, you know, uh, I, I don't have it as much. I can use chicken breast, um, mix it with some arugula and some uh, parmigiano reggiano. So those are the main things. But but again, look at this this guy here. Your performance nutrition. Sometimes I don't have time. <laughs> um, sometimes maybe. Uh, so I I I used to train at Cobrinha, uh, and because uh, now I relocated to another area of Los Angeles, and unfortunately I haven't been able to go anymore. But they they offer a six thirty a.m. class. Now, if you gotta drive there. Um, wake up drive there maybe you don't have time to to prepare a meal and and uh and you know uh digest and uh and get there so uh sometimes i'll be honest with you i just uh just feel that the, the, my my how do you say water bottle and uh and uh and went there and that's it but uh here's the thing i'm not there to uh smash everybody or uh to build on the those Right. Um, I say characteristics that will make me uh, win a main event fight. I'm a, I'm just a recreational athlete, so uh, at least what I can say uh, it's omnipresent is the right hydration. So that's the basics, and then the rest kind of yes depends on the on the the occasion, the time of uh, the training, and uh, and and stuff. Well, maybe maybe the most important question uh, that I ask you the whole day will be what is the best the best pasta um i mean easy easy olive garden <laughs> <laughs> no oh no 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 uh, what, what is the best what is the best uh, 
like the best noodle, the best noodle. I mean, like I'm the best pasta a, shape. You have, yeah. You can get it at Olive Garden, but what's the best? No, shape? I'm just kidding. By the way, guys, I'm kidding. Like, guys, here my my. Here it is. He's kidding. You you want me the Italian passport to be to be taken away from me? Please don't uh, <laughs> don't say that I that I said that. Um, no. Um, no, this is good. You're. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. I was saying, what's what is the best pasta shape? Best pasta shape. I'm gonna go either with the rigatoni or penne rigate. So not the one that are smooth, but the one with the uh, they're a little more uh, like guess surface. Yeah, uh, just because of the. Um, yeah. The, the fact that they can be used with uh, multiple types of sauce, uh, you know, while there's other stuff like farfalle, like uh, uh, linguine, they can only be used for certain types of, uh, of uh, how do you say, of uh, topping, you know? So, yeah, maybe pen, yeah. pound for pound is the most versatile that I know. Uh, so, yeah, I guess <laughs> if I have to pick one pen, but then... <laughs> You know, then the, the the sauce plays uh, plays a huge role. I also like orecchiette a lot, and athletes have been loving orecchiette a lot. It's just uh, yeah. not as versatile. We had there's a place here uh, called Cesarina, which is down in Point Loma, that they make their own pasta in in the restaurants. They have it like a basically like a plexiglass station. Um, where they have people back there cooking all day long while you eat. It's kind of like, a, I mean, you have the book behind you, Italy. But if you yeah. go to Italy in Century City, it's great because you can see them actually make a lot of the food. Uh, but they have that there, and it is so good. I'm, I am so freaking hungry now, actually, talking about all this. <laughs> like, I want to go eat like a whack of pasta. It sounds so good. Uh, Matteo, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate your insights, I think that you have a, a really healthy view of food, not only for the performance aspect of it, but also for the, the socio, like the, for the cultural aspect of it as well, right? Like food is a big, I, I'm someone who believes that food is a big part of culture. I think it says a lot about cultures. And when I think in my head of memories of different places around the world that I've been, the flavor and the smell always sticks out the most. And so it's fun to talk with people that they geek out on the nutritional side of it, but also just have a general appreciation and a love for food as well. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to be on the show, man. Uh, I really appreciate you having me. I had, uh, I had a blast and, uh, yeah, as I said, I, I love, uh, being able to 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 live my life in America, and I hope I can bring my 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 contribution um, overseas. As uh, Michelin star chef Massimo Bottura is in Modena with the three Michelin star says, after all, we're from Italy, the land of uh, slow food and fast cars. <laughs> yes, indeed. And you said, what did you say? Uh, eat pasta, go faster. Yeah, more pasta, exactly. more pasta. <laughs> That's, that's the way. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Hey, friends. Abe here. Thank you so much for 
tuning into this episode and sticking around to the very end. If you want to support it, leave a five-star review on Spotify or check out www.mainideapodcast.com. Join the mailing list and stay up to date on all things The Main Idea from future guests, sponsorship opportunities, products that I'm using to help me perform at my best, invites to ask me anything, and any upcoming pertinent information to the show. I cannot do this show without you. It is literally why I show up each week and put these episodes together. So thank you from the bottom of my heart from being part of the community. I hope you have a great day.